And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's web, radio.com. We are a minute late, but not a dollar short. Uh, back after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, lots going on in the country, lots going on in the great state of Georgia, and in the world in general. We've had another terrorist attack in Brussels, Belgium, while your president was dancing the tango in Argentina and catching a ball game in Cuba, and also taking selfies in front of a Che Guevara uh, monument. David, I'm sure you were watching uh, Mr. Obama's great trip to Havana and other South American places. We, um, I, I am a fan of opening up Cuba, um, but we do run a risk of being the saviors of this Castro government, don't we? The uh, Venezuela and Russia and some of these other countries that had been propping them up are completely broken out of money due to the uh, precipitous drop in oil prices. And if we go down there, the money really doesn't transfer to the Cuban people under the, the current uh, system of uh, corruption and graft that they have going on. But I also think that the more Americans get to travel there – the more Cubans will yearn for freedom and eventually revolt against the Castro regime. You don't think so? You, you think my, my theory, my hypothesis is from uh, left field? <laughs> no, I, I think the <clears throat> problem is you young'uns don't understand what happened back in the 60s. Well, I was born in the mid-70s, so I, I don't have a recollection of that. You don't remember that No, well. I, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I, it sounds good in theory on opening Cuba back up. Okay. However, um, no, the people won't revolt. They won't do anything. Um, you know, they, they know when it's time to take a siesta and they'd rather take a nap than <laughs> fight for their independence. You have little faith in the Cuban people. Is that what you're saying? Uh, the the <laughs> Cubans that would have fought have already come over here and immigrated over here. What's left behind is, you know, they've been well-trained, they, they're docile, they they accept, you know, what's been given maybe to like, them. Maybe kind of like North Korea where, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, you so, know, I can maybe see that where you know, they are. I, it's hard for me to call a Caribbean nation docile, though. You ever been to a party? <laughs> they are not docile. Well, you know, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying there, but... <laughs> <laughs> look! Look at Cuba. How many years they've had? Forty years? Fifty years? It's been uh, since sixty, so it's been fifty, yeah. fifty-five years of and a uh, failed promises, a failed communist regime. But so your but point to your point, it is still a communist country, and you know I still don't believe that we should be holding hands with the communists. If we take the Reagan approach. You know, let me ask you this. Okay. If that was such a damn great deal with, with the Castros, what did we get out of it exactly? Oh, we, I, haven't I got, we, we, we actually have not gotten a thing. In fact, I think we did I get a couple my prisoners. Case. I rest we, my we case. Got, we may have had a couple prisoners released. If um, we make a deal, don't you think we should both get something out of it? Of course. So we didn't make a deal. We gave... To the Cubans. Yeah, I mean, we we have given the, it, the, the embargo to be lifted must still uh, be a congressional act. Although I'm sure Obama is trying to figure ways around that. He's already trying to unilaterally close Guantanamo Bay, our prison on Cuba, over in the uh, south 
I guess that's southwest corner. No, southeast corner, Guantanamo. My geography of Cuba is way off. I do know I've flown over the country many times on the way to Ecuador, and it looks really nice. I can imagine the casinos and hotels and the tourism industry can make quite a bit of money um, by, by developing it. The problem is the way the script system is set up that the money does not actually go to the Cuban people. And uh, we've talked about that before, had a couple guests on. I've sat through a, a presentation from my friend uh, Alex Jimenez, who's explained it in more detail. And that is the part where, okay, if we are going to open it up, shouldn't the United States be demanding that that system end? Shouldn't we be demanding that more human rights, uh, the, 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 all the journalists and the people that have uh, had the, the gall to speak out against the Castro regime, shouldn't we ask that they start being released? Maybe maybe get a couple concessions? Did you see the Rolling Stones played there on uh, Friday night? The Rolling Stones played there in front of 450,000 people. And it occurred to me How that you get front row with pick? Fidel Castro... And Keith Richards both there at the same time. We've literally seen the formaldehyde competition for keeping people alive. I think we have to ask ourselves, I saw this the other day, what kind of world, David, are we going to leave for Keith Richards and Fidel Castro? (laughs) They just keep going, don't they? I mean, Fidel even woke up from his slumber. That's a big battery that that bunny's got stuck up. (laughs) Yeah, it it is. There's there's clearly something going on. It's like weakened at Bernie's, but uh, the Cuban version. Weakened at Fidel's. Fin de semana a la Fidel. I think that was Spanish. I'm learning... are you amazed? I need to get Charles Cook on my show so I can speak a little Spanglish to him, our favorite immigration attorney and uh, apologist for illegal immigration. I'm just kidding, Charles. We love you. But uh, he has a, a show here. The Immigration Hour, 10 a.m. little plug for that. Is that Mondays or Tuesdays? Dave? Tuesdays. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. So I come in four hours after him. Great show today. Jason Pye from FreedomWorks is... Uh, Been on the show a couple times. He's going to call in, talk a little bit about some of this national scene. All this Cuba stuff and terrorism, it's kind of made me forget that we have a a presidential election going on. And your your favorite, your gal, Hillary Clinton, is uh, continuing to lead, although Bernie Sanders is doing very well out west. It seems the western populace wants to have socialism. They really do. California already does, but... uh, It seems that uh, Alaska wants it, too, on the Democrat side. On the Republican side, the field has narrowed to three. We now have John Kasich. Two and a half. Ted Cruz. Well, we have two. Well, two two and an eight. (laughs) Two Americans. I'll make that two two Americans and and one Canadian. Um, Does Donald count for more than one, though? No. I mean, he was actually born in New York. Kasich sort of doesn't count for one. (laughs) Kasich counts as a Democrat, right? So basically, we're given, uh, after what was looking at a historic lineup presidentially, we're down to a uh, a reality TV star, a guy that was born in Canada, and a guy that expanded Medicaid in Ohio. (laughs) That sucks. Joke's on you, America. Um, I will say that John Kasich does extremely well head-to-head against Hillary Clinton. So we'd kind of, um, I don't know, would we have Democrat light if he won? I do think that the Republicans need to be a little bit more strategic about uh, 
choosing folks, Donald Trump is losing by 13 points head-to-head to Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton has more than a 50% unfavorable rating and almost a 60% not trustworthy rating. So how do you lose to her? By putting in an undocumented Republican who has basically alienated 80% of the uh, the women vote, the female vote, and uh, alienated almost every minority group that, that would possibly vote for us. He does really well with white men, though. Which I guess, if you think about it, though, David, that may be part of the secret of Donald Trump's success, though. We are getting, when I say we, I mean the Republican Party, which is uh, really stratified right now. The Republican Party is probably getting a lot of crossover vote from white Democrats, uh, the working class Democrats, that do feel alienated by the Democrats' uh, basic basic switch to the party of the poor people and the party of the ultra-rich. The Democrats have left. They, they only, the working class people are the unions, and they're slowly circling the drain, if you will. The rest of them are uh, watching their jobs being sent overseas. And I think that is a huge factor in Donald Trump's growing numbers. Although um, it's looking like Cruz is starting to gain steam. This Wisconsin primary coming up is going to be huge. And um, I'm looking forward to it. It's looking more and more like a brokered convention, though. And that is a recipe for disaster for the Republicans. I mean, they used to elect presidents that way. But... Now they don't. And nobody really remembers that. Nope, you do. You can remember that? Sure. Which one was the last one brokered? I, you know, I can't <laughs> tell you offhand. Well, yes, well I, t- I tell you what. They, yeah, probably um, the... Uh, was it the Barry, Barry Goldwater one? No. In 64? Nah, I know the Democrat been. one was um, Hubert Humphrey, I believe, in 68. 68? Yep. So that was the um, Democrat one. I mean, we might have had one in Nixon. I really have I was thinking said. Nixon Kennedy back in the 60s. Okay. But um, I can remember, you know, it was a big thing. The, the conventions would basically last a week. Uh, it was big time television, black and white. <laughs> you probably don't remember black and white uh, television. No, I don't. Only um, when I watch an Oliver Stone movie. So. It was it was a very interesting time, and and you really didn't know. And uh, your your parents, uh, like my parents, would sit on the edge of the couch and scream <laughs> at the television that you know Lyndon Johnson. So things no things good. haven't changed though. Now um, they just scream at Fox News or CNN yeah. or MSNBC. A little different. But um, you know it, it was. Um, now it's gotten for the last couple of years. It, why have a convention? You know who's going to. Uh, be the nominee for that right. party. However, this year has obviously uh, yeah. may turn the table. The magic number twelve thirty-seven. Can Cruz and Kasich? I liked what, when it was Cruz and Rubio. Rubio was so easy. Kruzka, Kruzka, sick. I don't know. That just I don't know. Y'all need to work on that one. Y'all hey. need to figure. Y'all need to figure hey. out something that doesn't piss off Emory students and doesn't make other uh, millennials cry. That's what y'all need to figure out. Some hybrid combination. Some amalgamation of Cruz and Kasich that we can say, all right, this is going to stop Donald Trump from reaching this magic 1237. Now, I will say that even if he doesn't reach 1237, his popular vote total is going to be far more than anybody else in this thing. So his supporters are going to be pretty pissed 
I would think they might even riot. Or would that be the Democrats? That would, you I know, don't know. Let's go ahead and take our first break. we got Jason Pye, Freedom Works, on the other line. He'll be with us in a couple minutes. And State Senator Josh McCoon will be joining us live in studio around 2.30. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great show. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties. Track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's AmericasWebRadio.com. Back again from uh, joining us from Parts Unknown, Jason Pye from Freedom Works is uh, calling in on the show today. We're going to talk about some national issues. Jason wrote a recent piece uh, about um, the uh, the Supreme Court uh, nomination process, and uh, I'm interested to see what his his, uh, his analysis of how the Republicans are playing that and uh, whether or not they're going to fold after the election in November because that may be something that we say, all right, we may as well take this because if Hillary Clinton's president, we could have Justice Obama, which would be far worse than the uh, the guy that they have in there. Now, Jason, welcome back to Gregsus. How are you, man? Oh, I think we might have lost him. Dave, can you? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're getting Jason Pye back on. I'm going to try to do uh, some smoke signals right now to make sure that uh, we can get him back on. But we'll be back in a couple of seconds. Hopefully he's able to hear the question. I think he's having to call back in. Yeah, he's going to have to call back. Yep. Okay, let's try it again, all right? Jason, are you with us now? Yeah, I'm here. Excellent. Did you hear my stellar introduction of you? I did not. Okay, what well, it was it, it was amazing. It was huge. It was the greatest introduction ever. But uh, <laughs> the question, 
I, uh, I, I prefaced it by the uh, article you wrote about the Supreme uh, Court justice nomination um, proffered by Barack Obama, and I thought that was a really interesting take you had on it. And uh, I just, uh, you know, you you go up to Washington D.C. a lot. You probably get to hear kind of conversations around tables. And what's your outlook on uh, how the Republicans are, are approaching this, and uh, what they uh, what their strategy should be, uh, you know, going forward? Well, I think right now uh, it looks like Chairman Grassley, uh, Chairman Grassley, he chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are really holding strong. Uh, they're saying no hearings, no votes, uh, and it seems like the vast majority of Republican senators are saying the same thing. There are a few who are who are sort of uh, who are sort of deviating from that. Uh, you have the ones who are who are more moderate members, uh, the liberal members of the Senate Republican Conference, such as Mark Kirk, Kelly Ayotte, who have agreed to um, meet with him. There are others who have agreed to meet with the, the nominee. Uh, Mark Kirk has even gone as far as to say he deserves an up or down vote. Right. Uh, we dis- we disagree with that. We think, and, and for Mark Kirk, it's just mainly political posture. He's in a he's in a tight reelection uh, battle in most polls. In Illinois, and, and yeah. Down. Um, uh, and he's running for re-election in Illinois, which is, <laughs> let's face it, it's a very blue state, and the, uh, the odds are against him. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, we expect that uh, we expect Republicans to stay true to their word. We expect that they stick to the no hearing, no vote, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of campaign right now. And I yeah. think that, that will, I think that will tie us through. And, and again, this is. This is a, a position that's been taken by Joe Biden. It's a position that's been uh, been taken by other Democratic senators in the past as well. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer have both said that there is no constitutional obligation for the Senate to uh, to confirm a president's nominee. And there's not. It does not say that in the Constitution. In fact, uh, you look at the the uh, Federalist 76, which was authored by Alexander Hamilton. Uh, and he said that the the Senate has a has a right not to confirm a president uh, a president's nominee uh, if they so choose that uh, to for consent to have any meeting uh, that you have to be able to withhold as well as to give. So uh, I think that's something that's important to keep in mind here. And I think anybody who says otherwise is is uh, is really kidding themselves and being grossly hypocritical. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, we always um, very timely here on Greg's List Live. Uh, Senator Kirk met with Justice, or uh, oh, he's an appeals court justice, Merrick Garland, today, in fact. And, um, you know, I, I agree with what you said, that it's probably political posturing. Both of the senators in Georgia have come out very strongly against uh, Obama nominating somebody. One of the things that I mentioned in the intro of you, though, was if uh, the election does not go the Republicans' way, which I I mean, it's I, it's very difficult to predict. Um, the Trump Trump is leading in the Republican primary right now, but he may not get to the twelve thirty seven. Could be a brokered convention, or he could win it all and bring out a massive wave of turnout, and he could be the next president. It's very, it's a lot of unknowns right now. And what do you think if Hillary Clinton is the uh, the president elect? Uh, you know, after November eighth, what do you think Republicans do then? I'd rather cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, I think right now Republicans are in a pretty strong position. I mean, Hillary Clinton is, is obviously having her struggles right now with the, the, the scandal relating to her right. email. She's under investigation by the FBI. She will most likely be uh, questioned by the FBI or interviewed by the FBI. Uh, you know, it's, there's, it's well in the realm of possibility that she could be under indictment by the time the November election rolls around. That would so be I, outstanding. I don't want to jump too far ahead of us. Let's right. concentrate on what we have in front of us right now. But... Uh, I, I expect that uh, who, who I expect to be a very spirited, very heated, and, and contentious election, as most presidential elections are. But 
uh, I think I think Republicans, uh, especially if someone like Ted Cruz is the nominee, are very well positioned to take back the White House uh, in November. And, and then, you know, we're going to have anywhere to, from three, possibly even four uh, Supreme Court appointments yeah. in the next four years. You're right. Well, and, and I mean, I think the Republicans are certainly within their right to uh, play the long game on this. Uh, what did you think? Me and you have agreed in the past on uh, that Cuba needs to be opened up or the policy needs to be changed. What did you think about Obama's visit there over the weekend and maybe some of the optics of uh, while the uh, Brussels uh, terrorist attack was going on, what he was doing with the uh, Caribbeans and the South Americans? Sure, I certainly support more open relations with Cuba. I think you, I think the best way to, 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 to spread our way of life is to do it through free trade. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to embargoes or even, and God forbid, at the point of a bomb. <laughs> um, uh, but with that said, I think some of the optics of the trip were, were very negative, especially related to the, the Brussels uh, terrorist attack. Um, I didn't particularly care much for President Obama standing in front of a pic, uh, the mural, uh, the, the, the wire mural of Che Guevara. Uh, I think Che Guevara was a murderous thug uh, who uh, I hope is rotting in hell. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't like that too much, uh, yeah. seeing him do that. But uh, as well as going to a baseball game on the day of the Brussels attacks. I mean, granted, let's let's be honest here. I mean, like, there's there's not a whole lot he could have done, right? Uh, in terms of it all, but uh, you know, optics matter. Uh, and and you know, rather than going to a baseball game, watching the probably C team for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays play <laughs> uh, the Cuban national team, you know, it would have been better for him to actually you know be seen. Uh, talking to his senior military advisors, getting updates from world leaders. I mean that, you know that that would have at least showed the American people he was paying, he was right. attuned to the situation. Yeah, and you know, hopefully with this uh, solidarity that uh, that we do share with our NATO allies over there. I thought it was uh, I I, flip, I was at the gym and I flipped on uh, ESPN. My the the new one has these uh, really uh, up to date ellipticals that have these TVs, and you basically get four channels: CNN, MSNBC, but ESPN is one of them. And I, when I first saw it, it said Rays versus, and I thought it said Cubs. And it was actually Cuba written in cursive, and they don't even teach cursive anymore, so forgive me for not uh, being able to immediately identify that. And then I started watching it, and I said, oh, my God, this is the actual game that everybody's complaining about. And uh, it was crazy. The game, the the Rays started with 35 players, but by the end they had 57 players on their roster. So it was an amazing (laughs) – yeah, it was crazy. The the, the plane home was quite full. But uh, So Obama was there with with, uh, Raul. And I do think Raul is somewhat open to uh, to changing the dynamic, basically because their benefactors are broke now. The the Russians in right. Venezuela, due to the, the crash in the oil prices, don't have the money to prop them up anymore, so they need new partners. But don't you think that we need to be demanding concessions from them before we just open up our wallets to them? I mean, I think, we, I think that there, there should be – I think you're right to a degree. I mean, at the same time, you know, we, China has – the same problem here, where they have political prisoners. They yep. they have uh, uh, very they, they they don't have much social liberty as uh, to sort of uh, you know, in air quote social liberty, um, and they still live under what is mostly authoritarian rule. Mm-hmm. Cuba does too. We openly trade with China. We uh, but we have had always had a different approach to Cuba. Um, I think eventually, I think the the, the more you open up markets uh, in terms of trade for from the United States perspective, the more we open up our market to Cuba, the more our way of life, uh, the 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 liberty that comes with uh, a sort of a free trade or an open market mm-hmm. will eventually start uh, spreading in Cuba. The more the people see, the more freedom they see, the more they'll want. 
and eventually that will re- lead to uh, more social freedom. And I, I think that it's in terms of concessions, yes, I mean, I think we should try to get more out of them in terms of releasing political prisoners or taking a different approach to certain uh, to certain uh, societal issues. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, this is going to be gradual. It's always going to be gradual. We can't expect it to come immediately. Um, and uh, we, we, so, I mean, yes, yes, I do, but I'll also be realistic here. Right. Finally, let's talk about uh, criminal justice reform. I know that's a really important issue for you, and really it should be for society as a whole, as we have the largest prison population in the world. We actually have private prisons, which uh, I, that still befuddles me. But uh, let's talk about that, talk a little bit about uh, Paul Ryan and uh, maybe some yeah. of the inspiration you got about him. We've got about three minutes to wrap up on this with Jason Pye from FreedomWorks. Yes. So, I mean, just last week, Speaker Ryan said that he, he plans to bring a criminal justice reform bill. The Senate's already moved, uh, excuse me, the House Judiciary Committee has already moved uh, three or four uh, different bills out of committee. I actually think it's more than that, but the three or four that they're going to move are probably going to be put into one bill. It's going to be a sentencing reform bill, which will uh, create what we call a safety valve exception to mandatory minimum sentences. Mandatory minimums are one of the largest drivers of prison populations in the United States. Um and these are often for nonviolent offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, people mostly drug, people mostly for, drug offense, basically, right? Yeah, for nonviolent offenses. There's also a corrections reform bill, which will uh, basically require the Justice Department, and the Attorney General, to create what we call uh, recidivist reducing programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll go in. They'll create educational programming, drug rehabilitation programming, uh, job training programming, designed to reduce uh, a prisoner's rate of re- becoming a repeat offender right. or recidivism. Uh, and then there's also a bill uh, that would go would create a default standard for what we call criminal intent or mens rea. Uh, mens rea is the state of mind someone is in, in during when they commit a crime. Uh, it's not enough to commit the crime; you you have to knowingly commit the crime. Um, so, like, if for there there are tons of examples of this. We actually call it the more broader term is over criminalization. There are uh, probably around five thousand criminal laws, federal criminal laws. Uh, and then there's about 400,000 regulations that carry criminal penalties. Uh, 400,000, let that sink in for a minute. This is how busy regulators have been over the, the past several decades. Uh, so there, the, the theory is that uh, Americans, the average American commits three felonies a day, and they don't even know it. Uh, so these are these are people who are unwittingly committed. I'm, I'm, up, to fi- I'm up to five, and I admit to two of them every day. <laughs> Then there's a prosecutor probably <laughs> listening in who's follow, who's getting the. Uh, I'm sitting with right an. Tr- I'm, I'm sitting with an attorney right now, and uh, I don't know if I have to put him on retainer after today's show. But uh, <laughs> Jason Pye, FreedomWorks.com. This, um, you know what? I'll get you back on the show so we can go into more detail on these uh, sure. criminal justice reforms because the mens rea that I that is all news to Greg, and I like to think I'm pretty up to date on things. I uh, I understand that the religious freedom veto by Governor Deal is not going to cost him his re-election. It's uh, those pesky term limits, but I've been enjoying <laughs> reading some of the comments on social media showing how uh, low-informed some of our voters are. Anyway, Jason Pye, FreedomWorks. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Thank you for calling in today, and uh, see you on the other side of the 2.30 break on Greg's List. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, man. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. 
The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We are here talking uh, some very serious issues. Sometimes I say serious journalism with a little bit of a, a nod and a wink, but uh, most of the time the issues are serious. I try to take a little bit of a comedic look at them sometimes, but um, here in Georgia we... Uh, we have a Republican governor and a Republican-dominated legislature. We claim that we're a red state, yet some of the antics that we've seen the past couple sessions um, have have not been conservative or Republican, at least on the platforms, at all. And uh, we're, we're joined in studio today by State Senator Josh McCoon, representative out of uh, Columbus area and uh, Harris County and some other parts. He has been uh, a leader in uh, the religious liberty discussion and several other points of interest, also including the making English an official state language in Georgia, uh, trying to keep illegal immigrants from getting driver's licenses, which can lead to voter fraud and all sorts of other problems. None of these were passed. Well, one was passed this year, and uh, the Religious Freedom Act, which we'll talk about in more detail in a second. But the uh, the illegal immigration bills didn't even get brought up for a vote. Josh McCoon, welcome to Greg's List. I wish we were in uh, happier tidings, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I can imagine yesterday was interesting for you when Governor Deal announces the veto of this Religious Freedom Act, which has been worked on for at least two years now, passed by a pretty big majority in both the State House and State Senate, both controlled by Republicans, by the way, but came up against a rash of uh, of rhetoric stating that it was all about discrimination and a lot of the businesses and the Chamber of Commerce allied against it, and it really put 
Uh, I think the governor uh, under a huge microscope. And I got to say, yesterday when you heard the news, what was uh, what was going through your mind? Were you surprised at the timing of it? I was extremely disappointed. Uh, thank you for having me, by the way. Sure. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Um, I was very disappointed. Um, I was disappointed uh, also with the timing to to pick the uh, Easter Monday uh, to sort of deliver this blow to the faith community. I think uh, was was not good timing. Um, I think it sort of accentuated the message, which is uh, that people of faith, the faith community broadly, is just being sort of shown the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's disappointing. It's disappointing because this governor ran uh, in 2010 uh, as a social conservative, ran in the primary runoff as someone who was more socially conservative than his opponent in that race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shared with someone yesterday, I imagine that if the the voters that made up the margin in that could do it over again, they would probably do it differently after yesterday's news. Yeah, well, it was. Uh, I remember that 2010 election, it was 2,000 votes that uh, separated uh, the governor from, uh, defe- he defeated Karen Handel by that margin in the runoff, former Secretary of State Karen Handel. Uh, so yesterday, this news comes out. What, uh, you know, the social media blows up. I was at, uh, at the bank working, and I subscribed to a lot of uh, newsletters and just to kind of keep up. And John's Creek Patch, no less, was the news break to me that comes out and says the governor vetoed it. I was expecting it to drag on a little while and at least maybe have some hearings between both sides of it. But uh, apparently the threat from big and small businesses to uproot and leave the eighth largest uh, populous state in the country to let others fill the vacuum of business. Apparently that threat was enough to move the needle and uh, get the veto pushed. What, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure your immediate reaction was a little bit surprised, but how many of your constituents, and a lot of people have looked to you, you've been a, kind of an ambassador for this around the state. You're not afraid to go to almost any group and, and talk about it and actually be able to articulate it in a good way. I think uh, I will say that I don't think Greg Kirk was the uh, best ambassador for the bill. I think he, unfortunately, his uh, skills with the media uh, certainly weren't up to, to your level, and some of the quotes I saw attributed to him uh, didn't look good. Well, what I'll say is that, um, you know, the bill that we passed, um, and I really have to give uh, a lot of positive affirmation and credit to our lieutenant governor. Uh, to the Speaker of the House and to the relative House and Senate leadership uh-huh. teams, this was a very stripped-down bill. Uh, I think it's important for your listeners to know this bill didn't apply to business. Uh, the the so-called Baker photographer kind of examples we've yeah. heard, that was not covered by the bill. Uh, the only folks covered by this bill were pastors, houses of worship, religious schools, and religious-affiliated nonprofits. Uh-huh. And so... To have gotten this carefully negotiated compromise over three legislative sessions and for the governor to say no um, to this very modest protection for people of faith in our state, when the companies, the very companies that are calling for the veto are the same companies, Walt Disney Company has been very prominent uh, opposition to the bill. Walt Disney Company, uh, in filming Star Wars 7, filmed a good chunk of it in the UAE, where being homosexual is a capital crime. Right. Uh, so the idea that these companies are, are pure and pursuing uh, some kind of social justice is absurd. I mean, they're out to make money. That's what they do. Uh, they saw an opportunity uh, for cheap 
public relations yeah. sort of making us the foil. I did see like a bandwagon effect where, oh, a couple companies think it's cool now, so let's join in this hubris against a bill, which even the, uh, you know, the, the big-time opposition, they would agree that, yeah, not all of what we're, our opponents are saying is necessarily true, but if you throw enough crap against the wall – It'll stick. I think is that kind of what happened. I think I think that's exactly what was going on. I mean, at the end of the day, the governor caved to these empty threats from business. Uh, You know, there's a reason that Georgia is the number one place to do business, and it's not because of how easy it is to uh, worship. Um, It's not how free our people are to carry and possess firearms. Uh Uh, What makes our state the number one place to do business are friendly tax and regulatory policies. And when it comes to film and entertainment... It's real friendly. It's unbelievably friendly. I mean, we are handing over boatloads of taxpayer Uh dollars uh, to finance these Hollywood productions. Uh, So the notion that they were going to leave over this legislation was ridiculous. And I'm frankly sorry that the governor... Especially when you've stated before at some of the... uh, the meetings I've, I've attended that more than 30 states have similar legislation, including like very conservative bastions like Connecticut. And, uh, <laughs> is, is the People's Republic of California included on there? No, Calif- okay, Ca- California is not one of them. Okay. But but we do have, as you point so, out, 30 states around the okay. country with similar so, laws. So tell me exactly the, 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 the late, late, latest version of it. How exactly... Was it convoluted as to be discriminatory? I was reading some that said, okay, a Catholic church could turn down a single mother because it could. Is that an extreme version, or is, would that have been possible under the watered-down version? So the, the bill um, basically did five things. It said that pastors uh, couldn't marry some, someone against their will, which is existing law. Uh, it said that churches couldn't or houses of worship couldn't be forced to rent out space for a purpose that violated their sincerely held religious beliefs. Okay. It said that businesses could not be forced to be open on Saturday or Sunday. It said that pastors, houses of worship, religious schools, and religious nonprofits could not be punished by government for their sincerely held religious beliefs, and it raised the standard for free exercise cases. Those are the five things okay. the bill did. All right. um, the examples that were being tossed out, like uh, a, a religious run domestic violence shelter would turn away someone that's been a victim of abuse because that person's LGBT, Mm -hmm. for example. There are two problems with that critique. The first problem is that doesn't happen. You know, religious-affiliated institutions don't turn anyone away. I had a conversation with a gentleman earlier today saying, you know, if someone's hungry and they show up at the church door, they're going to be fed. Right. No one's going to say, hey, I need to ask you a bunch of questions about your history and background. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, functionally it would not happen. But secondly, we took two steps to ensure that this bill would not result in any discrimination. We had language that specifically said that if there was a federal or state law regarding invidious discrimination, that that would trump this law. And we also said that any nonprofit receiving government funds, once they sign the contract with the government, mm-hmm. they're bound by it. They can't object to okay, it. Okay, so, so basically that was the, one of the biggest um, uh, objections, I guess would be the proper word, that I saw, you know, mostly talked about by the left, but also they, you, we do have to identify in the Republican Party the younger uh, generation certainly 
is very attuned to the fact that the protections of LGBT people is a reality. The uh, the Supreme Court decision um, basically legalizing gay marriage is something that it looks like it's being tried to re- rehashed again on the state level. But I think that the uh, the opponents of this bill were able to uh, to change the narrative into a false one because from what we just discussed, some of these examples they were using were so far out of left field, no pun intended, that they wouldn't possibly happen. But things like that were being plastered as gospel. And and when you ask the real questions that this bill dealt with, um, <clears throat> people have a much different response. When I say to someone, do you think that we should tax a house of worship because they teach traditional marriage, which there are left-leaning legal scholars saying that should happen today. Um, You know, does Kasim Reed and the Atlanta City Council decide they're going to assess property taxes on a church that teaches traditional marriage? Mm -hmm. Is that right? I think most people would say no. I think most people would also agree that we wouldn't pull the accreditation of a religious-affiliated school because someone disagrees with what's being taught in the theology class. Um, We certainly would not want to deny someone a professional license, like a licensed counselor or therapist, Mm -hmm. because they hold on to traditional religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yet these are all natural consequences of the Supreme Court decision last summer. And so all we were trying to do with that portion of the bill is to create a legal environment that made it clear we're all going to have different religious beliefs. We're going to disagree. Government should be a referee. Government should say there's room for everyone. We're going to respect everyone's beliefs. What shouldn't happen is we shouldn't have people with one point of view use the machinery of government to punish people that they disagree with. And that's what this debate really has been about. Those are the things that folks on the other side don't want to talk about. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, again, there's uh, many other states already have these protections. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of our, uh, Isaacson came out and said, you know, leave it to the feds. And why shouldn't we just leave it to the feds? That's a great question. And, um, you know, I I don't like... If it's real complicated, then I will uh, probably... We let you finish after the break, just so to uh, ruminate on it. But um, so, I, I guess the with the what are the odds of a special session being called? I, I was doing the math on it; doesn't look like that's going to happen. I think the there's enough support to call a special session. I think the question is, if you call a special session, are there the votes there to override the veto? Okay, because it's thirty sixty percent to call the session, and then the sixty six percent. That's veto. right. Okay, so it's the the odds are against it. Um, and I, I, you know, obviously a lot of the Metro Atlanta legislators they have a very diverse constituency. Now that they know if they have a primary opponent or not, I guess that would possibly change their mind since qualification is over. Not to be uh, too nihilistic about that. I promise they always have our best interests at heart. Let's go ahead and take our uh, 245 break here. Back with Josh McCoon. We're not just going to st- talk about the RIFRA Act, although it is a pretty uh, contentious debate, and there are some, uh, I think, some serious repercussions that I believe the decision might be a little short-sighted. We'll delve into that and also talk a little presidential politics, everybody's favorite topic when we're back on Grexus. Thanks. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative 
of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com, sitting in studio with State Senator Josh McCoon from the Columbus, Georgia area. I had asked a question. Senator Isaacson had uh, chimed in on the Riffer debate, and uh, you, off the air, you told me a very interesting uh uh, response to it, and so basically the Riffer debate, it's very contentious. A lot of people like to chime in. I don't think people really have understood the bill in its entirety, nor have they analyzed the unintended consequences, but uh, your response to uh, uh, Senator Isaacson saying that uh, the feds should be the ones in charge of religious liberty, not the state. Yeah, so the Congress passed a federal Riffer in 1993. In 1997, Supreme Court said that can only apply to the federal government. States, if you want the same protection, you got to pass your own bill. Okay. It's just that simple. And that's why 30-plus 30, 30 states, including the red, deep red state of Connecticut. <laughs> I love using that as an example. And it, it's such a funny one, because mm. of not just because of their funny accents up there. But, uh, here's a question, and this is one that I thought of. Um, this, in, a, in addition to the, you know, English being the official language in Georgia, which was passed as part of the Republican primary platform a couple years ago, or the state convention, the religious freedom was also part of that. Um, what has this done for potential fundraising for the, would you want to be the state Republican party calling now, asking for funds? Absolutely not. And I'm very concerned about what this means for turnout in Georgia in the fall in the presidential election. There's tremendous damage being done to the Republican brand when we don't follow through with religious freedom. With English as the official language of state government, you know, um, when I get up in front of GOP audiences and I say, do you realize that the driver's license exam is administered in 11 different languages? And people just roll their eyes and say, how is this happening in Georgia? And for the for the Republican-controlled General Assembly not to give the people the opportunity to vote on that, um, and and for a Republican governor not to sign a religious freedom bill, it just 
it sends a very bad message. Yeah, and, and I think this actually enables the argument for a presidential candidate like Donald Trump, where we are seeing, I believe uh, the GOP controls 32 governor's mansions, so we've got uh, 64%. That's a little math for you there. 64% <laughs> of, uh, of the governor's mansions, and we control a large proportion of state legislatures, and uh, it seems like the the Republicans, they've fit, they've they really fiddled when they should be passing common sense stuff. The uh, Here in Georgia, it's not only the RIFRA that, that could have passed, we've got the campus carry bill, which is now, who knows if that'll be vetoed because the governor's... Yeah, that might be about. next on the chopping yeah, block. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, if we can't get pretty solid conservative states to support these initiatives, the Republican Party will disappear. There'll be no point for it. And I think that's my biggest fear. And I share that. I mean, I think that, you know, I ran for office... Uh, out of a place of Republican activism. I'd been a county party chairman. Um, I believe in the ideas of the Republican Party. And it just feels like we have a lot of people in powerful positions in state government who just don't believe it. Um, they, they go home and campaign at election time and sort of uh, promise these things. And then we go to the legislature and nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And we can't be surprised when people start reacting to that. Yeah. Well, and the medical marijuana bill, that seemed like it had huge support. And that one failed in committee. There was a lot of legislative shenanigans and a lot of good bills that I thought that had been worked on very seriously that faltered. And, uh, you know, we look like we're not able to pass anything here in Georgia. And with the Religious Freedom Act, the threats from the uh, Chamber of Commerce and all these businesses, I think they were real. I think they were palpable. Um, I, again, I, I don't know if they would uproot and leave the eighth largest state in the country, especially with some of the generous concessions we've given them. But when you look and see at the risk of you know the Republican Party not being able to pass certain platform issues or having them be contentious, that asks the question, how, how can you ask for money for a group that is clearly not being effective right now? And I think you've got to ask the question at a certain point, you know, re- re- political parties are coalitions, and no one in the coalition gets 100% of what they want. I mean, right. we all understand that. Right. But when the, the thing that kind of cuts across all these different issues, when you look at religious freedom, when you look at English as the official language of state government, when you look at 22,000 illegal aliens carrying Georgia driver's licenses today, um, these were all issues where uh, elements of the business community were very strongly opposed. Right. Um, and, and at a certain point, um, there has to be some give and take. Uh, if, if one element of the coalition is getting their way 100% of the time, then people who are law and order conservatives, mm-hmm. people who are social conservatives, are going to say, what am I doing here? Right. I need a new political home. Yeah, and I mean, I, the the discriminatory potential for the bill... I think it has worried a lot of uh, younger Republicans, for sure. So that, um, and, and that, to me, was a concern because it, it, even if it's not in the bill, so many of these uh, legislative proposals are written in, in you know, very advanced language, um, very, I guess, litigious uh, and, and lawyerese or legalese, I guess is the proper word, that uh, they, I think they need to be explained a little bit more to people. And uh, as I said, you were able to go around and, and articulate it well. There were others in the Republican Party that were not very good ambassadors for the bill. And let me jump in on on the point about discrimination for just a moment. Um, I think, you know, I I would appreciate your listeners thinking about these scenarios. A Catholic school 
theology teacher, if that Catholic school theology teacher wakes up one day and says, I'm an atheist, or announces to the school, I'm going to enter into a relationship outside of traditional marriage, um, you know, are we saying that the government should be able to come into that situation and say, Mm -hmm. we don't care if the person is not reinforcing church teaching, you've got to continue to employ them. I mean, and that that's what people need to realize. This was not the 7-Eleven or the McDonald's that we're talking about. We're talking about the, you know, the First Baptist Church, the mosque, the uh, the synagogue. Uh, we're talking about a religious school. We're talking about an explicitly religious nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. So to say that you can't reinforce the teachings of your own house of worship in those Mm -hmm. situations i heard a lot over the last two years about the wall of separation between church and state right that sounds like the state's knocking down that wall and coming into the church and saying we're going to tell you how to run your your operation now i guess i this is a question that i've also thought of as well you know religious liberty everybody usually thinks it's you know for the Christian bill, but would it also not uh, protect uh, Muslims and uh, other faiths that perhaps have uh, practices that are not exactly the uh, mainstream? Would would this bill have protected some of those? And I'm not talking about an honor killing or something like right. that. I'm talking about uh, you know some of the Caribbean religions like Santeria involve uh, sacrificing animals, stuff like that. I know I have not seen too many movies. This stuff <laughs> is real. I've been to Ecuador many times and mucho veces and seen it, okay? <laughs> but uh, So what about, is that a, a potential unintended consequence? Well, these this legislation... all religions would be protected. Correct. And this legislation actually arose at the federal level okay. out of a case involving a minority religion uh, that involved the use of a hallucinogenic substance as part of a religious I like ritual. It already, <laughs> so so it, so it would it was it was something like that. Cool. Um, but yes, I mean you know it's just like the First Amendment free exercise clause. Okay, it applies to everyone. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. So let's talk about Ted Cruz. Does he have a chance to stop Trump? Or is our best case scenario a uh, contested convention in Columbus, Ohio? That's grab your popcorn time, folks. <laughs> Although I do see it as being very detrimental to the Republican Party. It'll still be fun to watch. I think Ted Cruz is going to be our nominee. Um, does he get to 1237 before the convention? I can't answer that question mm-hmm. for you. What we are seeing around the country as we actually get to delegate selection, and not to not to put anybody to sleep, but a lot of these primaries and caucuses are the first step in a process before you actually get to the delegates. So, for example, in Louisiana last week, Ted Cruz picked up 10 additional delegates because he got the Rubio delegates who were uncommitted. Mm-hmm. He got five at-large delegates on the executive committee. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to continue to see that happen as we move, just like here in Georgia, we will select most of our delegates at the state convention Mm -hmm. in June. Um, So, you know, as we go through that process, I think Ted Cruz is going to emerge with more and more delegates. I think he's got a lot of momentum. I think he's going to do well in Wisconsin next Tuesday. Governor Walker endorsed him earlier today. Uh, Carly Fiorina was on a, she selfied herself. (laughs) At Denny's? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Um, so, So I think... 
things are moving in the Lindsey right direction. Graham has endorsed him. I mean, we've got Cruz Mintum really dominating. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it's interesting to see that uh, Cruz actually is uh, beating Hillary head-to-head by a few percentage points. And, you know, you look at uh, the analysts and they say, oh, these national polls don't mean anything. I think they do mean a little at this point. I mean, when Donald Trump is losing by 13 points, when he has unfavorables uh, with women at uh, over like 80%, just astronomical Numbers that I think I don't think there are enough white people to push Trump over the uh, the hump, if you will, uh, to this. And I and I don't really believe these polls that oh he really does well with women we just don't see it or he really does well with minorities we just don't see it yet. Cruz has been able to be a, a more articulate um, version. And one thing that doesn't get enough credit and something that I've admitted to in the past I've been every candidate I've supported has failed so far. So I'm I, I'm not I'm going to support Hillary. You know, Cruz's record uh, in the state of Texas is uh, it's unsurpassed right now, I think. And that I had Julianne uh, Thompson on the show a couple weeks ago, and she said, "Yeah, the media doesn't want us to hear about that." So we got to wrap up. But uh, is that is that the frustration that you've seen? Do you think we'll see more of that coming out with uh, Cruz's history? Yeah, I mean, there'll there'll be more of that back and forth. But I think at the end of the day, Ted Cruz is our nominee, and I think he wins in November. Uh, all right. Well, Josh McCoon, we uh, covered a lot there, a lot of contentious activity. I think we've got a, a lot to look forward to from a uh, spectacle <laughs> version coming up in the next few months, but a lot of it is very serious, and a lot of it will have ongoing repercussions. Thanks for listening to Greg's List. We'll see you next week, as always. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.